guys, this is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and we are back after, I don't know, would you call it a two-week break? Maybe just one. We kind of combined those last episodes, last episode if you remember that. Mm -hmm. And we are back and excited to be here with you studying in Alma chapters 17 through 22. If you listen to our last episode, you know that we are moving. We were boxing up our house as we recorded last week or last two weeks ago. Um, And we're kind of homeless for a few weeks, maybe even a month or two. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and so we're I've been thinking we're on location. Zach, does that sound too cheesy to you? <laughs> no, we're in the mountains. We're yeah, in the cabin in the mountains. We are on location. It would be a beautiful setting if we were having a live audience. Mm-hmm. That's where I would want to do a live recording is in the mountains. So if you hear birds or streams or, or kids yelling in the background, then that's why. Cause... That's why. It's a natural setting. <laughs> so here we are, but we did want to just get back at it and study this block with you guys today. So that's where we're at, Alma 17 through 22, and we're just glad that you're here. These are some of our favorite chapters. They've been some of my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the Book of Mormon for a really long time. Um, And with everything that's going on in the world today, um, we, one of the benefits i think of of combining our last episode and giving some space and time both on instagram and here in the podcast is there's been so much to say in the world and there's been so many people saying incredible things so many voices that have been heard and we uh we wanted to create some space for that and now that we've been able to listen um we're excited because i think that this study today can be extremely relevant for what we're looking at in our world and of course, as always, relevant for what we're facing in our own individual lives. And so what I want to start with is this. Um, this story is really, really well known. This is the sons of Mosiah and their mission to the Lamanites. And we know all of the highlights of the story. We know that Ammon takes care of the king's sheep and he cuts off the arms of the people that are trying to scatter the flock. And we know that there are thousands of Lamanites that are converted. And if you know the, the, um, the sort of genealogy of this story, you know that these converted Lamanites, these thousands of Lamanites that are converted, uh, become the parents of the 2,000 stripling warriors. This is the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. They bury their weapons. Then their children become the 2,000 stripling warriors who help turn the whole tide of the war in the middle of Alma and the war chapters. Uh, it's obvious that Mormon as the narrator wants you to see this story as crucial for the history of the Nephite people and also crucial for our development as disciples of Christ. But as I was studying it this time, there were a couple of words that stood out that I think will link this story together with everything that's happening in our world and in our personal lives. The beginning of chapter 17, Alma meets the sons of Mosiah. They've been separated for 14 years, and the sons of Mosiah are on their way back from their mission to the Lamanites. Now, when they left on this mission, uh, the public opinion amongst the Nephites was that it was a fool's mission. There's no way you can go to the Lamanites and convert them. They're a bloodthirsty people, and they've hated the Nephites since Nephi and Laman split. And yet they went, 
And then in chapter 17, verse 4, they had been teaching the word of God for the space of 14 years among the Lamanites, having had much success in bringing many to the knowledge of the truth. And that many is literally cities, whole cities of Lamanites that have been converted. And so despite what everyone said, these missionaries, these young men were able to create incredible change in something that had existed for centuries. They were able to effectively change a people and a relationship. And our question today is, how did they do it? The word that stood out to me is in verse 9 and in verse 11. Um, In verse 9, it says that they had prayed many days and fasted that the Lord would grant unto them a portion of his spirit to go with them and abide with them, that they might be an instrument in the hands of God. And then verse 11, the Lord answers them and says, go forth be good examples unto them, and I will make an instrument of thee in my hands. At the very end of the story in Alma 26, Ammon himself uses that exact word to describe their success. He says in verse 3, this is the blessing which has been bestowed upon us that we have been made instruments in the hands of God to bring about this great work. So the question we want to ask is how do you do that same thing? How do you create change in your family, in your personal life, or in the world that you live in? You know, Zach, as I'm thinking about these stories of these missionaries and these men and these women in the story specifically too, that are so powerful in answer to that question is because you see them as instruments in the hands of God. They are responding to his call. They are kind of having that balance between going out and doing something, but also listening to what God is Mm. telling them to do, which we're going to talk about more in this episode. But I just think that having that general perspective as we look at these stories is just so cool to think about. Um, I noticed as we talked about this, I looked into the preach my preach my gospel into the (laughs) missionary things. Yeah. That's probably why I was headed that way. The come follow me manual. And it has a section on this, on this, what we're talking about and a quote from president Monson that says, I always want the Lord to know that if he needs an errand run, Tom Monson will run that errand for him. And don't we know those, all those fond stories of president Monson and some of the things that he did, which are so inspiring for us. But I think what our prophet today is telling us is that we are a part of that work. And President Monson certainly was meaning that too. But as President Nelson over these last few years has specifically called us to this gathering of Israel, he is calling out for you to reach out and to be this change, to become that instrument in the hands of God. And isn't that Maybe that's what makes these verses so exciting and so many of these stories, stories that we can learn from about how we can be that instrument to make change, not only in ourselves and in our own hearts, but to the world abroad. Well, that's such a good balance to be aware of too, because uh, what you're saying, part one is we have to desire to be agents of change. We have to want to be an instrument, but to just go out there and say, I'm going to make a change in the world with 
while disregarding what God's will is, is to go out there with your own strength and your own efforts and maybe to fall and maybe even to cause damage. And so the balancing part of that is it's not just going out there and making change. It's going out there and making the change that that God sees in his plan. And so I like the balance of I want to be an instrument of change and I also want to be aligned with God's will. It's not just I'm going to make a change and it's also not just I'm going to accept what God's doing. It's I'm going to align with what God's doing and and then I'm going to be involved in that. Um, I love this story in contrast to the one we just finished a couple weeks ago, which is the story of Zenith um, going down to the land of Lehi, Nephi, the Lamanites. This isn't the first time that a group of Nephites have gone down to visit the Lamanites. If you remember the story of Zenith, he goes down with his people, he sees the Lamanites, and he sees them with love. He sees uh, his words, he says, that which was desirable among the Lamanites. And so instead of waging war against them, he just wants to live with them and live in peace and harmony with them. And yet it doesn't work. For 80 years, his people is captured. They're in bondage. They have a wicked king. They kill a prophet and they escape by the skin of their teeth. It's a horrible story. It goes horribly wrong. Not because Zenith was a bad guy. He had great intentions and he loved, or he at least viewed the Lamanites with love and admiration. And yet here's a story that works. The sons of Mosiah go down and it does work. And there's thousands of Lamanites that are brought into peaceful relationships with the Nephites. And so what's the difference? And one of them that I see as I look at those two stories is when Zenith goes down to the land of Lehi Nephi, he is going in contradiction with what prophets have revealed. King Mosiah specifically has them leave the land on, on the Lord's direction to protect them. And when Zenith goes back down, he's going in contradiction to what the prophet has revealed. Notice, though, what the sons of Mosiah do. This is chapter 28 at the end of Mosiah. It says, verse 3, They were desirous that salvation should be declared to every creature. And so, in verse 5, they did plead with their father many days that they might go to the land of Nephi. And King Mosiah went and inquired of the Lord if he should let his sons go up to the Lamanites. And the Lord said to Mosiah, let them go up. And so Mosiah granted unto them that they might do according to their request. In other words, it wasn't just that they wanted to make a difference in the world. It's that they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to be instruments in the hands of God and align with him in making a difference in the world. And that's such a crucial balance, I think, to get. It really is. And that idea of, I guess I'm going to use my hand motions again that you can't see. (laughs) But that's what I see it is that if you invite God to be a part of that, he helps with both Mm -hmm. of those things. He satisfies those desires in you to create change while also inspiring you in in ways that you wouldn't have understood. Hmm. I love the way that these, I mean, Zach, you already read this verse, but talking about, or did you, the 17 verse two, talking about when these, they met up together again. Mm -hmm. And it talks about them being men of a sound understanding. They'd search the scriptures diligently that they might know the word of God. And I would even take that farther as we see this story, that they weren't only men that knew God's word, but they knew who God was and they knew who his people were. And you see them develop into these missionaries at the end of these, um, of this block of scripture in 21 and 22, they go and preach to these people because they have a sound understanding. They're also inspired by God to know what to teach the people. They're called as instruments to be teachers to particular groups of people because God is helping them see the hearts of these people and what these people need to, in order to be touched. And I feel like that really brings together um, that feeling that I feel in my heart when 
I feel like I'm doing God's work for him. Mm-hmm. That he uses pieces of me that I've worked really hard to make better or to become something. And he makes it even better and even more meaningful and lots of hands actions I'm doing right here. <laughs> but you maybe hopefully you are starting to understand and you will as you study these chapters yeah. and these people. Well, if that's the first step then is fully accepting our role as instruments in the hands of God to create change in our lives and in the world around us. One of the second or one of the other principles that I found that is a well-known one is um, the love that Ammon and his brethren have for the Lamanites. But again, I noticed a word this time that I hadn't noticed before. And maybe it's because it stands in somewhat sharp contradiction to the way that we traditionally think about changes in the world. I think when when I think about change or when I look at the way that others propose change, maybe it's just because we're in a political year, there's always a plan for change that has multiple steps that need to be administered. Um, however, Ammon doesn't view change as a plan that needs to be administered. Listen to this. Um, this is Ammon with his brothers. Verse 18 in chapter 17. Now Ammon, being their chief among them, or rather, he did administer unto them, and he departed as he departed from them, after having blessed them according to their several stations, having imparted the word of God unto them, or administered unto them. I love that Ammon doesn't administer a plan for change. He administers unto people. Now you see that, of course, in this chapter as he meets the king of the Lamanites and his only desire is to serve and love and care for these people. That word administer unto shows up repeatedly throughout the story. And my favorite place where that principle is kind of exemplified is after King Lamoni has converted, he and Ammon go on a trip. And as they're journeying together, they meet King Lamoni's father, who is the king of all the Lamanites in the entire land of Nephi. Um, As they meet this ancient or this old king, uh, he asks his son, what are you doing with with this Nephite? His son said, I'm Basically, I'm converted, and dad gets really mad, pulls out a sword, and starts, wants to kill his son, Lamoni. Um, Ammon blocks the blow, and so the king turns against Ammon, and uh, Ammon smites him in the arm, which is pretty traditional Ammon, I guess. And then the king falls to the ground, sees that he has no power over his son or over Ammon, but that's not what converts him. He's not converted, he's not changed because of Ammon's force. He's changed because of this. This is chapter 20, verse 26. Now, when he saw that Ammon had no desire to destroy him, and when he also saw the great love he had for his son Lamoni, he was astonished exceedingly and said, Because this is all that thou hast desired, that I would release thy brethren and suffer that my son Lamoni should retain his kingdom, behold, I will grant unto you, I will grant unto my son that he may retain his kingdom from this time forever, and I will govern no more, and I will grant that your brethren should be released, and I want you to come and teach me your message. In other words, it's not Ammon's force, it's not his his sword that convinces this king, it's his love. It's his desire to administer and care for others. And I love that principle. When we change the world, we don't change the world. We change people in the world. And the only way to change people 
is by love and care and consideration and respect. And don't you think that's what God gives us? I think that's a big piece of how he how he teaches us and how he allows us to be um, change makers is is through that. I think he gives us even greater love than we ourselves are capable of giving. Well, to that point, um, when Zenith goes down to the land of Lehi Nephi to be with the Lamanites, the, lang- the word he uses to describe the Lamanites is his enemies, the Lamanites. He goes to live amongst his enemies, the Lamanites. But that's not the word that Ammon uses. In chapter 17, verse 11, the word Ammon uses to describe the Lamanites is their brethren, the Lamanites. And so even that perspective of viewing these other people as part of his family already, not as an enemy to be conquered, but a family member to be loved and cared for, makes a world of difference. And isn't that true about our interactions in our families and in the world that we live in? You don't change a family. You know, if you've got a a son or a daughter that's having a difficult time, you don't change them by force. You change them by love and by understanding and by patience with them. You don't change the world by force. You change it by love. Well, Zach, you hinted at one of, I think one of the next answers, what you just said was that love and patience. And I think I want to kind of tie this into the answer to this question with this story of Abish, that we see this woman of faith who creates so much change through her her love and her patience. Um, in verse, so this is chapter 19, verse 16, we learn about her. Um, it says, And it came to pass that they did call on the name of the Lord in their might, even till they had all fallen to the earth, save it were one of the Lamanitish women, whose name was Abish, she having been converted unto the Lord for many years on account of a remarkable vision of her father. So she had been, it goes on to explain she'd been converted, but never made it known um, because maybe it wasn't the right time. Sometimes we have these desires to maybe to share or to make changes in whatever way that is, but maybe it's not the right time to do that. And I think we see this with Abish where she has been believing and I don't know how she was paying her personal devotions, but certainly it makes it seem like she was a woman who was ready for the call when it came. And we see the story unfold. So she sees the king and queen fall to the earth out of amazement from their experience with God. Um, And she goes out and it says, Therefore she ran forth from house to house, making it known unto the people. And they began to assemble themselves. So she's gathering all these people together because she sees the moment arising that this is it. This is what people need to see and hear. And I'm going to skip down to 1929. And it came to pass that she went and took the queen by the hand at that perhaps she might raise her from the ground. And as soon as she touched her hand, she rose and stood upon her feet and cried with a loud voice. The queen then says, Oh, blessed Jesus, who has saved me from an awful hell. Oh, blessed God, have mercy on this people. So here she is having this really spiritual, powerful moment, not only with the king and queen, but with the people that she's gathered around. What an instrument she of power she became. And, and an instrument of change that she became because she was patiently waiting for the moment that she knew was going to be the right moment. I love the companion story around this one, the queen of the Lamanites that never really gets mentioned as much as I think she should. Maybe it's because she isn't given a name in the story. Um, but her faith is praised by Ammon. He says, 
She, first of all, she believes his word without any kind of special experience. She believes Ammon, she says, just because of his word. She says, I have no witness save thy word and the word of our servants. Nevertheless, I believe that it shall be according as thou hast said. And Ammon praises her faith and said, there has not been such great faith among all the people of the Nephites. Um, and so I love both of these examples of patience and faith. And we were talking about that before of how, at least in our lives recently, those two principles have been so connected. To be faithful and believing a lot of times also means being patient and long-suffering. Not giving up on a desired change if it doesn't happen immediately or if the feeling isn't that it should happen now, but persisting, holding on, and enduring until the timing is right and how connected those two faith and patience often are. And we'll be excited to talk more about that patience and faith piece in next week's episode with our awesome guests that we have coming on. So stay tuned for that, more of that discussion as these chapters evolve and unfold. A final point that I found, I know we've talked about it together, but um, at the heart of the story isn't just people changing or even becoming converted. They're becoming converted to Jesus Christ. They're changing to become closer to God or become more like God. And I think at the heart of this change, and maybe at the heart of any real change, has to be that connection to God and that connection to a, a hopeful betterment of ourselves and our future relationships. Um, I love going back to that exchange between the Lamoni's father, the king of the Lamanites, and Ammon and Lamoni. There's this moment when Ammon is standing up with his sword in the air. He's just defended the blow that would have killed uh, him or would have killed Lamoni. The king of the Lamanites is on the ground, and the king of the Lamanites says to him, this is chapter 20, verse 23, fearing that he should lose his life, he said, if thou wilt spare me, I will grant unto thee whatsoever thou wilt ask, even to the half of the kingdom sees that Ammon has power over him, physical power, and says, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom if you'll just spare my life. Of course, Ammon doesn't want that, as we mentioned before. He just wants to be free to go take care of his brothers, and he wants Lamoni to be free, and that's what inspires the king to invite him. So fast forward a couple of chapters, and Aaron now, Ammon's brother, goes to teach this king of the Lamanites, and he teaches him about God the creation of the world, the plan of salvation, what God has in store for his children. He opens his mind to this hopeful future and possibility that he's never considered before. And I love the king's response. This is chapter 22, verse 15. And it came to pass, after Aaron had expounded these things unto him, the king said, What shall I do that I may have this eternal life of which thou hast spoken? Yea, what shall I do that I may be born of God, having this wicked spirit rooted out of my breast, and receive his spirit, that I may be filled with joy, that I may not be cast off at the last day? Behold, said he, I will give up all that I possess. Yea, I will forsake my kingdom, that I may receive this great joy. I love that the king will give up half of his kingdom to save his physical life, but that he will give up his whole kingdom to save his spiritual life. In fact, a couple of verses later, as he's praying to God, he says in verse 18, I will give away all my sins to know thee. And so the lesson I take from that 
for me at least, is if I want to create change, it has to be connected to God. Not just, as we mentioned at the beginning, not just that I have to be connected to God. The change I'm trying to create has to be connected to God. Either it brings people closer to him, helps them understand him better, fills them with love because of their relationship with him, or helps reclaim them to a loving relationship with him. But I just think that real, lasting, meaningful, joyful change comes because of and connected to a God who loves us. And I really think that's where the joy comes that we see from these people experiencing these changes. Um, The king and queen, when she stands up and these missionaries experiencing these changes within themselves and within the people around us come as we put God first, add him to the peace, always put him at the center of these changes that we're making because he just creates a much more beautiful landscape for our lives and for our change environments than we could have ever imagined. And I think that for me is the piece that just really um, brings this story close to my heart. And I, I think that's all we've got. And I hope that you guys enjoy this study this week. We're glad to be back, glad to be studying with you. Um, And like I mentioned, we have a great guest coming on next week. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, we hope that you have a lovely week.